Let's go. Episode 9 of the Pierce Hockey Podcast. I'm Ezra Janello. Of course, I'm joined by the greatest play-by-play announcer in the history of Franklin Pierce, an expert on men's and women's ice hockey here in Ringe, New Hampshire, Tyler Arago. Tyler, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Ezra, as always. Pleasure to get to spend some time with you. It's been a while. It's been a while. A very, long, very long book. time. Very long time. Even longer than we've than we've wanted to to uh, talk about Franklin Pierce hockey and, and catching up with you before we started recording was unbelievable. Of course, we text each other every once in a while when something cool happens, um, but it's nothing like getting on a Zoom call and, and talking about some hockey. It's always good. Uh, it's always good to catch up too with people from Franklin Pierce. I mean, it's it's just been different. Uh, this whole Last uh, last year, last like 10, 11 months, uh, obviously like graduating, I knew I wasn't going to see a lot of the people that, um, you know, were still there as underclassmen, but I thought I'd be able to at least visit campus a few times. I thought I'd pop in for like a few games throughout the season and yeah, nothing like that this year at least, which has definitely been unfortunate because as I just said, I mean, it was something I was looking forward to once I graduated, but in this digital age, thank God for Zoom because I've been able to keep in touch with people like you. So it's always a fun uh, fun thing when we get to catch up and chat over video. You're still trying to pop in for a couple games. You you sent me, you posted something on Facebook about doing a uh, a remote broadcast <laughs> if they wanted it. And I was like, you know what? We could do it with the Roadcaster. We don't even need the Fitzwater Center. I've got all the equipment. I'll Zoom you in. We'll get it going on the Roadcaster, get it on the stream. It'd be set. But you know what? First, it, it, we got to get to the. <laughs> it would it would have been interesting. I it's obviously like you and I know it's such a hard sport to call, just like in general, when you're there in person in the building, and that's why I tip my cap to the broadcasters for like the NHL, uh, who have to do most of their games now remotely. Um, and, you know, calling it from a monitor, you know, a couple hundred miles away, it's that's that's no easy task. So. I tip my cap to them, but I definitely would have loved to give it a shot because I get the itch and I miss it. I just, uh, I've been lucky since I've graduated. I've been able to, you know, get work in and get experience outside Franklin Pierce, which is, which is awesome, but nothing, you know, nothing quite is the same like those four years um, that, that we, you know, that I got to do and that we got to do in, in the latter two years. So I was bummed out with, with them potentially missing, you know, the whole season, like not being able to play at all was, was just a terrible thought. So the fact they got two games in was great. And, oh, yeah, I would have loved to have been able to do uh, at least one of them, <laughs> at least one of them, because, I mean, it's just special. And it's something that I definitely miss, even though I've been able to find other work. And today's actually a momentous one-year anniversary. The guys, Big one. They, they clinched their playoff spot last year. Where, of course, they ended up going all the way to the NE10 championship where they played at Warrior Ice Arena in Boston. The women, a five-overtime, two-to-one loss. I mean, it was tough in the broadcast booth calling five overtimes. It was even tougher on the ice playing five overtimes. You, you hear some of the things that the, the girls had to go through. It's unbelievable. I couldn't imagine going through that as a player. Um, but one year since that day, crazy, crazy events happened this day one year ago. 
Yeah. And I think that I remember leading up to that weekend and it was a tough decision. Like I, I felt genuinely torn because you can't be in two places at once and the scheduling was not in our, in our, in our side, on our side there. And I knew that, you know, with it being a playoff game, I had a feeling that the men would understand that, you know, although that regular season game was, you know, really important, they had to win it to get in. Um, the playoffs, you know, are the playoffs. And anytime Franklin Pierce and St. Anselm match up on the women's side, it's it's got a little bit more heat to it um, just with the, the geographical rivalry, but also it's gotten closer on the ice, you know, it, over the last year or two that the competition that is. And, and so I, I felt really confident that this year or last year, rather, um, you know, they could have won that game and, and they get the, the lead and, um, you know, they sat on that one nothing lead for what felt like all of time. And then it was one, one, and, and it felt like it was one, one for all of time. And it just felt as, as that game went along, the, the OTs kept spilling over and the clock, the period number on the clock went from four to five to six to seven. I'm just thinking like, Oh my God, I can't believe that game went as long as it did. And it went without a goal for just so many periods. Like it honestly felt like we were going to be there all night. And uh, unfortunately the end result was not what we wanted. It's not what they wanted, but on this one year anniversary, like I look back and it's, it's not a bitter memory, even though it was a soul crushing loss. Like I blacked out when the goal went in, I was just like, <laughs> I couldn't believe that that's how it was over. And, and I thought, you know, dang, like it's over, over, like, what do you say about that? We just played five overtimes. We played like seven and a half periods of hockey. Like, how do you sum that up? And I look back at it though now and, and I'm glad we got to be there and I'm glad that we got to follow it up with a, with a thrilling OT win for the men's sometime the following week, because they did win at home against assumption. And then they went to assumption and beat them in overtime. So um, and that ended up being the last game that I, that I did. So I ended my career, I guess, on a win in, in that sense. And that game was memorable in its own right uh, with Chris Stevenson scoring that goal. But how could you not, you know, look back fondly at calling a game like that, a five overtime game. I mean, nobody else can really say that they've done that. I mean, it happened in the bubble this year for the NHL, um, but it was kind of cool to to see that game happen and be like, hey, wait a minute. Like, I actually, I have experience calling that. Like, we lived that experience. <laughs> and so it's just, it's just such a unique thing that I, that I cherish. You mentioned going back and, and going to Assumption the next weekend with the guys, and you go to overtime. It's like that uh, that GTA 4 meme. It's like, oh, shit, here we go again, right? Like, it, it's just you're gearing up for it. It's in the back of your mind. Like, what if we actually go the distance in this one, too? It's an unbelievable thing, and you mentioned not a lot of people get the opportunity to call a game like that, let alone play in a game like that. Uh, and it's just a little fun fact that, that everybody involved on that day has and something that, that – Everybody who who was involved in that game is gonna go back and and see uh, on this day. I think it's the twenty second today, uh, and, yep. and just go back and and wow, that happened today. That I mean, yeah, it's just for, one of those things. Forty one years ago was was the miracle on ice, uh, to, and 
on this same day, like just to think like on February 22nd last year was the 40, 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. It was the day that David Ayers made his NHL debut up in Toronto for the Hurricanes in that just unprecedented story. Um, the United States women's ice hockey team captured gold, a gold medal uh, in 2018 on that same day. So, I mean, I look at that day and I think like February 22nd, Big day a lot hockey. of, a lot, yeah, for hockey in general. And just at least in my experience of like being a fan, broadcaster, et cetera, like a lot of cool things happen on February 22nd. So I don't know what it is about that date, but yeah, I, I just think that it's kind of fitting that we got to experience a game like that on that sort of special day. And I think in one of the overtimes, I, I'm sure I referenced it that, you know, this game, regardless of who wins or loses, is in, is in of itself miraculous because what those players did that, that night on both sides, I mean, just incredible to, to play that long. I mean, the game was five hours and 15 minutes. Puck drop was at four o'clock. And it ended like a little after nine. I mean, that's wild. And and uh, obviously, like you said, it was tiring for us. And we were just standing there talking. <laughs> so I can't imagine what they felt like playing and having to skate and back check and try and score. And the goaltenders were unbelievable. And uh, I mean, you allow three combined goals over like, however many minutes i mean like almost eight full periods of hockey and only three goals were scored that's just you can't beat that i mean two to one how it doesn't really get much narrower than that and you mentioned the skill on the ice it's there for franklin pierce and let me tell you tyler uh i've gotten the pleasure to see them skate this year and it's there let's jump into uh into the women's hockey team this year of course they're they're two and oh right now on the year with no nwha schedule going on uh they played Becker twice, a home-and-home home series back on February 6th and 7th. Um, obviously, so St. A's is playing and LIU is playing. No, Sacred Heart is playing and LIU is playing. If St. Mm -hmm. A's were playing, I'm, I'm almost certain they would have played against each other. Maybe they'll get some, some games going. We'll see. But February 6th and 7th, home-and-home home with Becker uh, and Tyler. The girls look phenomenal. First, you got Emily Prive is I think what Matt said it was. Freshman out of Vermont, two games played, five assists, one goal, six points. You can't forget about Jenna Ruiz out of Egan, Minnesota. Two games played, four goals, including a hat trick in that game number two, an assist for five points. And then, hold on, Bethany Ross. She's in third place in the team on, on, in the, on the team in points. Two games played, four assists for four points. Uh the, the freshmen and sophomores are taking over. We knew, I mean, Becca Niss, NEWHA Rookie of the Year last year. Cassidy Jones, she's got two tucks this year. She's getting rolling after a slow start in the first half of last season. I mean, it, it is the young person's game here at Franklin Pierce, Tyler. Yeah, and I think, um, I think last year with the men's, like they had a lot of older guys, a lot of se a senior heavy team. They lost, you know, a lot of good players, a lot of good uh, leaders in that locker room. And they knew coming into this year, you know, it doesn't matter how many games you're going to play. They're going to have, you know, a different looking team. And I think for the women's, it's a little bit more balanced. They have that unique blend of 
um, players who have been there um, for three, four years. They have that, you know, just a tremendous, tremendous senior class that you just almost can't say enough good things about. They're all just so talented in their own right. But it's making sure that you're going to be set when those players eventually do graduate. And I mean, so far, <laughs> the groundwork has been laid and it's looking pretty good. Uh, you know, starting back last year with the with the first year players they brought in and this year, you know, just see, seemingly adding more talent. And I think it's um, I think it's unfortunate that they're not going to be able to play that traditional full season like they've done, you know, in seasons past, because I think this team would have would have been a nightmare for the NEWHA. I just think that they are they got somehow got faster got more skilled and just got more well-rounded. And I mean, on, on defense, they lost two big pillars back there in Delaney and Bridget, who is, you know, ended up becoming an NWHL draft pick and, and was going to suit up for the Riveters at some point before their season got cut short in the NWHL bubble due to COVID. So they lost those, those two pivotal players back there, but the mantra has just been sort of next player up and they, and they bring in, um, they bring in players that can that can step right in and make immediate impacts. And you have those players returning that you know what you're going to get from them and you know how good they are and how important they are. That's a winning recipe in my book. And um, it's just, like I said, it's just a shame that they're not going to get to have that full in-conference season because I'd love to see this team line up against San Anselm, Sacred Heart, LIU. I think it would be um, tremendous, tremendous action. And uh, part of that reason is why I wish I could have gotten at least a game in or I would have come up to see them play in person because I just think the new high, they would have had their best year this year as a conference, just talent-wise, competition-wise. I, I think it would have just been great hockey. And Franklin Pierce, through those two games against Becker, like you said, partner, they're playing great hockey. So, Oh, I, I think the NAWHA is skyrocketing. And it's going to continue skyrocketing with its transition to NCAA Division One hockey. I believe next year is the first year that they're able to play in the in the national championships. But you yep. mentioned uh, the the shame it is that they're not going to get to play the full season. They're they're not getting a lot of games. And the three people that I really feel bad for: Nicole, Haley, and Marissa. Nicole Amato, Haley Parker, Marissa Massaro. And let me go through some career records for you right now. The all-time leader in goals for Franklin Pierce women's hockey is is uh, Karison Baker. She graduated in 2016. She had 59 total goals in her four years. Nicole Amato, 55 goals coming into this season. I think she has a tuck so far this year, so 56. So she's three away. So she needs a hat trick if they play one more game, and that's it, right? Let's go to assists. Alex Brolsma, 74 assists in her four years. Marissa Massaro coming into the season, 59. That's a record that was going to be broken. Marissa Massaro is going to end up being the, the assist leader in a career at Franklin Pierce. And then you go down points. Alex Brolsma again, 123, 49 goals, 74 assists. Well, Nicola Motto, 101, coming into the year, 55 and 46. And really Haley, shattered it. And Haley, really shattered it. And Haley Parker, 143 and 57. And then Marissa Massaro, 93 with 34 and 59. Those are all three women's hockey players that were going to leave Franklin Pierce the top of the program and 300 point players like they yeah, got cheated it, out too bad. of records Ugh. 
it, it is a bummer because like they're great athletes and they're great people and they've just since they've gotten here i mean they've just been able to produce and i think that it's just it's out of their control and it's like it's been for everybody this whole situation and i think that just only adds to the frustration because you and i both know i mean playing if they play under normal circumstances if they play a full complete schedule i mean those records get broken um you know nicole all but all but certainly is is the new program leader in points i mean oh or hey come three... on they're one away they're one apart yeah come on they, i mean that would have been a fun battle to the end i mean obviously like you know the relationship they have off the ice on the ice it would have been great to see them kind of jockey back and forth and then the fact that all three of them though would would leave the program as 100 plus you know point players it just speaks to how good and consistently good they've been that's the key is like it wasn't just like one year or two years they they got hot and no it was right off the jump like they played significant roles and i mean they they scored they scored clutch goals timely goals i mean haley parker as a freshman scored a double overtime winner against holy cross a goal i'll never forget it was it was surreal nicole amato set a record as a freshman for for the most points uh and then it was broken the next year by by haley parker or vice versa i'm getting my wires twist a little bit but uh you know they're just terrific and and um it's too bad that they won't get that total full final season experience but it doesn't diminish any of their accomplishments doesn't diminish the impact they'll have on this program um regardless of how many games they're going to play from here on out i mean to me it's set in stone how how good they are i got to watch them for for three years and and um the team grew a lot and had a lot of success and they went to a new hot final and they were one bounce and OT away from making it back-to-back trips to a new hot final. So, um, you know, I'm proud of them as players and it was, it was great to be able to call them and, and broadcast games that featured them because they just made it so much fun and they all played different styles too. I think that's, I think that's the, the fun thing about it is they're all different, but at the same time, equally good at hockey. So it's uh it's been a, pre- it was a pleasure to watch them play for, for those three years. By the way, it was Nicole had thirty eight and seventeen eighteen. Uh, yep. Haley had forty and eighteen. Forty, right? Yeah. And then Bridget shattered it forty five and nineteen twenty. So she said, "You know what, guys? I'm tired of this battle. I'm taking uh, the taking the record." But you can't also forget about Marissa Massaro. She's she's right up there. She's had a little bit of an injury bug the last couple of years with her shoulder, upper body problems. Uh, there's no reason why she couldn't have gotten hot, right? She she could have no. fucking blown I him mean, out of the water. <laughs> 93 points i think there's uh, uh, for her in her career now. 95 now so yeah she would have been at least at the minimum in the 100 point club with him so think about that i mean you have three graduating seniors um all leaving that program as you know 30 40 50 goal scorers somewhere in that range uh great playmakers and and in the end all three of them reach that 100 point plateau i mean that is like uh, that's that's unbelievable and and what a run they had like i said even though if it if it doesn't end the way that they hoped or they don't you know however many games they end up playing it won't take away um the impact that they'll leave because they really were the cornerstones that helped to develop 
this program into what it's gradually going to become. And that's hopefully a, a good and competitive division one women's program. And so let's, let's talk about those two games against Becker first. So first it was a four, one, uh, sorry, four, one. I'm looking at the guy's schedule right now. First, it was a six, one win at Becker on a Saturday night, February 6th, uh, six, one. Emmy got the start. Of course, you, you don't have your, your number one sitting on the bench first game of the year. Uh, that was her 47th career start. She brought her record to 30 wins, 17 losses, and a single tie. Uh, I mean, 17 saves. She looked very, very good. A 9-4-4 save percentage through all 60 minutes of the games played. Uh, and then we, we got a taste as of uh, what some of these freshmen were going to look like and, and what they were going to do. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. I'm, I'm trying to pull up the stats here, um, but it's not, it's not doing too hot for me. But, uh, I mean, it was it was just – I was watching the goal recaps, and it, it just – and I, I made a mistake earlier. Jenna Ruiz had the, the hat trick in game one, but she starts out goal in the first period. Emily Preve, she gets an assist, right? She's the team leader in points. Kiki Doucette, a na- named assistant captain her junior year, she gets an assist. And Caitlin Brightbill, she continues. She had a pretty successful second half. I'm pretty sure she had – was it the, the first game against St. A's where she scored in the power play, or was it the, the last game? It was the second half. I'm uh, about. It was um, – she had a power we, – we did those – we did a regular season game at St. Anselm. She scored a power play goal. And we did the playoff game at St. Anselm. She also scored a power play goal. And it was her um, first career goal at St. A's too earlier in the year. First career goal was at St. Anselm as well. All th- three of those goals were, were in that building. So she, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, if I had the chart in front of me, I would know it. I don't remember what she finished with in points, but I'd argue 27. That she was probably, she, she was definitely one of their more complete, well-rounded players. She really found her niche in that lineup and she proved to be incredibly productive on on both um sides of the puck and um that freshman class last year i mean that was huge uh they helped a ton in supplanting that team because the year before you know i they were a little top heavy and when you're playing against a deeper team like like a saint anselm or even like a Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart, I feel like, always carries like a ton of people. They have a ton of bodies on that bench. So when you're only rolling like three lines and then like two lines as the game really kind of rolls along, like that makes it difficult. But when they added in, you know, Caitlin Brightbill, Reese Dean, or Becca Niss, just to name a few, like that really gave them an element up front, at least, that they sorely lacked the year before. And the dividends, I mean, all three of those players were incredibly productive as first-year collegiate hockey players. And um, I think as they get older, they'll only get better. And they're going to need that because losing, you know, Nicole, Haley, Marissa, just, you know, those three players alone, so huge. So you've got, you know, Becca takes a leap forward, Reese, Caitlin, they take leaps forward. And then these players, first years that are coming in, Jenna Ruiz, I mean, a hat trick in your collegiate debut, that is I mean, that's like Austin Matthews, like he scored it. He had those four goals in his first game. I mean, like anytime you can get off and running like that. I mean, that's just, that's unreal. That's unreal. And I, I think I saw at least two of her goals live and she looks like an exciting player, an exciting offensive player. And she can certainly score. So I think anytime you're adding a player of that caliber uh, who gets off to that promising of a start through two games in a awkward sort of season, I think that's great. I think that's that's gonna she's gonna be someone to look out for next year, hopefully, when they do have knock on wood, a full, 
you know, or somewhat full, complete season of some varying degree. So Jenna Ruiz, I I went and I did a, the scoreboard for them at the end of the first semester. They had a scrimmage, and they're doing like situational scrimmages. Like the first period, it was it was five on five, then five on four, then five on four the other way, and then back to five on five, and then a little bit of five on three, right? But Jenna Ruiz, when she was on the ice, didn't matter the situation. She was running the ice like she she was skating, literally skating circles uh, in the offensive zone with the puck. Uh, it was unbelievable. And I think I got in the car. I either texted you or Matt. And I said, "This Jenna Ruiz girl is very good." And I also I also wrote some stuff down about like other other girls on the team, but she stood out unbelievably. And then you get to that first game, and and I'm going to do the the goal recaps. I, I wrote my my recap for the men's game. Matt's running a little behind. Says, "Can you can you do me a favor?" Write me some recaps for the goals, and I go to the box score, and I, oh my god, unbelievable! Um, but also, someone who who stood out in that game, that that game number one, Bridget Fagan, she found the back of the net. Uh, right now, she's got one goal and two assists for three total points. She's a transfer from the University of Southern Maine. She had, uh, I believe, eleven points at the end of last year in thirty-two games. So not a crazy year for sophomore year, but let me tell you, in the off season. So I live in the towers now. I live in K. Tower right outside the basketball. Shout courts. out Kate Tower, unreal. <laughs> uh, right outside the basketball courts, and uh, that's where they put the nets with with COVID and everything. They brought them outside so that the the players can shoot, and she was out there literally every day. And she'd go inside into the bubble and she'd do an ab workout. She'd do an ab circuit. She just she's work. She's a, a beast. And I remember last year uh, hearing that she got so much playing time, and and, and she was a, a fan favorite in the coaches' room because of her work ethic and the amount of work that she puts in not only on the ice, but off the ice and in the classroom. So it, it's definitely showing like it's, uh, it's paying off with three points in two games for her. Yeah. And, and not every player can be, you know, a sharpshooter, a goal scoring machine or, or a finesse setup type player. Sometimes like the best teams have that combination of um, players who, Obviously, you have like your highly skilled players, your top six, but that bottom six can be an interesting like mixed bag almost of of playing types. Like, and I think you know Bridget. I think she hustles. I think she plays. Um, I think she she plays a hard game. And like you said, uh, the work ethic. I think she found herself in positions last year. She was moving up the lineup, down the lineup, um, certain situational, uh, certain situations. Perhaps she was getting out on the ice. Um, for like penalty kills and things like that I think having players like that is important because you chip in a couple points throughout the course of the year that's great and all but if you're providing quality minutes when you're out there you're able to take a shift if somebody gets it you know if somebody gets hurt or if somebody's not playing you know up to standard and coach wants to juggle the lines you're ready to get you know bumped up I mean she played um if I'm not mistaken, like she, she had a couple shifts or she would, she would alternate and rotate up on the top line, up on the second line last year. So um, it's good to have a player who's able to sort of handle those roles. I mean, um, I think of like uh, the Bruins as an example, like a few years ago um, when like David Poshnock was out of the lineup, they would take a player like Joakim Nordstrom off the fourth line. And sometimes they would have him take a shift or two up with up with Bergeron and Martian on the top line. And I think having that kind of flexibility in your roster um, is just, it's, it's a benefit and you need players who are going to, you know, move their feet and play hard and play fast. And I think, I think Bridget does all those things and I think she does them pretty well. And, and she's 
comfortable in, you know, knowing, okay, you know, if I'm playing this game on the fourth line, I'm going to bring the same energy as I would if I was playing up on the top line. And um, I think that's what makes her a valuable piece to this team. And if she can, you know, get her point totals up, her goal totals up, I mean, that's just, that's just even like an added bonus. It's even better. So uh, always happy uh, to see players like that um, develop in a positive direction and get, you know, that kind of recognition um, and seeing that hard work pay off. And I'm, I'm a big believer in role players being a, a big part of any team. Uh, you can't have a team full of first-line talent. Um, and, and first-line talent doesn't necessarily mean that you're better than everybody else. It just means that your, your game is more tailored to a first-line role, right? You, you have to have those bottom six forwards, that, that third-line D pairing, those penalty killers. You got to have the people who in the locker room are going to make it not as hard when you're losing, right? Everybody's going to yeah. lose. You're never going to have a perfect season. You got to have those people in the locker room who maybe they're cracking beers on the back of the bus, right? Like just joking around a little bit after a tough loss. Um, obviously, you don't want to joke around too much, but those people are important. Um, I was talking to Vito Carlo a little bit for the, the college hockey podcast, and uh, we, we mentioned he was a red shirt last year. He didn't play yep. in the games, but I 100% believe that he was a part of the reason why that team made the NE10 championship because knowing him personally and, and seeing him on social media, I know that he pushed the boys in the gym and he pushed them in practice and, and he was pushing the pace no matter where they were. Uh, and that's yep. something that's important. And I think that's what Bridget Fagan really brings to this team is, is you see Bridget Fagan shooting pucks every day, getting a hundred shots, 200 shots uh, from the basketball court. And, and you're not doing it. You're, you're sitting there like, what am I doing? This, this girl is taking 200 yeah. shots a day from her knees backhands trying to go bar down uh and i'm sitting in my dorm room not doing anything it makes you get up and go take those take at least 100 shots a day it pushes the pace and i think that's exactly what she brings to the table it's exactly what every team needs um but i i'm a big fan of it another one of these role players and she's a sneaky role player cassidy jones we mentioned her a little bit earlier um last year not a huge goal scorer uh i i've not been shy saying she's Play-wise, play she's my favorite women's hockey player. She is so good on the ice. She's got such great speed, such great hands. I think she's got very good hockey IQ. Her motor is unbelievable. Um, and she's starting to show it. I mean, this year, she's gotten a couple points. She she scored nice and nice and early, halfway through the first period of the second game. I missed the goal. I'm very unhappy. Our stream was broken. I was texting you when it was going on, asking you to, to sign on and see what's going on. Remember that? And then, Remember that? Uh, in the third period, she scored again halfway through the third period. I missed the goal again, and it pissed me off because she scored twice, something that didn't happen too often last year, and I missed both of them. I think um, I think when you come in as a first-year player, you want to do maybe too much. And I, I think I remember that game at UNH to start the year last September, and I, I remember going into that with very tempered expectations like, okay, like they're playing UNH, bunch of like new players, um, first game of the year, like it's probably not going to end up as a win. That's just like being realistic. And obviously it wasn't, but I was thinking to myself, let's just see like what these new players can do. Cause by then, you know, I, I know what to expect from the players that have already been there. So she stood out in that UNH game. Her and Reese Diener in particular really stood out to me in that UNH game. And for me, it was it was always the speed. She always had that 
motor going and the motor was going and whether it was trying to get in front of the net to get a body in front of the goalie or stick on a puck and that's how she would end up scoring her first collegiate goal was planting herself right in front of the net and tipping in a shot from the point and you know but whether it was things like that hustle plays trying to get to loose pucks trying to get to rebounds trying to screen the goalie she had a lot of shots too I think like obviously Beck in this last year just <laughs> she just Far shot away, I right? think from I think from everywhere like she just she never saw a shot she didn't like which I love that mentality but Cassidy Jones was firing away and just found herself a little bit snake bitten and and as a first year player that can be tough but I look at like Haley Parker like her freshman year um scoring wise it was a bit of a struggle early for her and I think she only ended up that first season of hers with like eight or nine goals maybe she she might have cracked 10 but I think it was around like seven or eight my memory serves me right and the following year she came back and as a sophomore she was unbelievable and and she her and and Nicole were were scoring were scoring left and right and so I just think sometimes you need that first year to kind of get your feet wet get it under your belt and I'm just happy for her that she'd was able to get on the score sheet that quickly because obviously I think it was like 17 or 18 games for her last year um but she definitely has that that ability to score whether it's off you know working the front of the net or scoring off the rush so I think if she's a player that can consistently get her offensive game going on more nights than not I mean the Ravens are going to be tough to beat because if she's scoring if Miss is scoring if Ruiz is scoring I mean that's not even talking about the big three up top. So like I said, I wish this team could play the new hob because <laughs> I'm telling you, I really think that the conference would be a bit taken aback by how much deeper and more talented this Ravens team got over the course of, of a year. Well, uh, it's funny that you said deeper. I don't know if you could see my reaction. I had my mouth, my jaw dropped. <laughs> uh, so I went to go look at how many goals Haley scored freshman year. And what do you think I found? Was it seven? I found no number 14 on the women's hockey roster, 2020-2021. No way. Yeah, I mean, that's serious. It got <laughs> Faith Anthony, number 12, Emily Preve, number 13, and then Bethany Ross, number 15. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm like I, I know she wears number 14. Right. Holy shit. That's did, did she change her number? Did she change your number? No. She's not here. That is unbelievable. I uh, I'm very that's, sorry to hear that or see that. That and I'm gonna that's interesting. And I'm gonna say, wow, that's crazy. I'm sorry to see that. And I like I understand how hard it is to go through the process of, of not finishing out a season, whether it was her choice or not. I have to imagine it was her choice. Uh or something health wise or something. I don't I don't see uh, Stockdale going to her and saying, hey, you're not playing as like, if we have any other games. Uh, I just don't see that being a thing. Um, but un- unbelievable. I, I, wow. I can't believe it. I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a look for myself just to, just to see with my own. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's something yeah. you, you can't believe yeah. until you see it. Um, but like you said, yeah, th- those, this, this women's yeah. hockey team wow. is phenomenal. They have such a bright future. They look so good. Uh, and it's just a shame that they didn't get to play in the NAWHA. But I think we're it's it's about time. We didn't really talk about the second game, but that's all right. I think it's about time we, we send it over to the guys, talk a little bit about them, 
and uh, the start of their season. Of course, they've got the Route 140 Challenge with Becker. So they yep. also had a two-game set, a home-and-home home series with Becker. First, it was an away game on Friday the 5th. They picked up the 4-1 to win. And then Saturday the 6th, they come back day later, 4-1 to loss. Adam Carmen got the start in both those games. He looked phenomenal, let me tell you, Tyler. I love the look of it. Ian Wallace, of course, you want to see him get the start. Uh, it was a, a health problem. It wasn't that um, that that Sean was not starting him. He had a problem. I think it was his knee, something like that. Uh, he, he sprained something, so he was out for the weekend. Uh, Miller gave the pipes to Adam Carmen, and he looked good. 925 save percentage through those two games, a 2-5. Goals against average through 120 minutes, two starts, nine total appearances in his career. So pretty good start to your junior year if you're Adam Carmen and, and the guys. They they got out nice and early. I'm looking Connor Foley, two goals and an assist for three points in those two games. Ryan Gorbett and Dominic Norris each had two points with two assists in those two games. Um, I didn't get to see a ton of the guys game on Friday. Saturday, um, it looked good. Uh, I spoke to the Becker assistant coach in the offseason. He, he told me that they were adding some guys with skill, some guys who were going to fly up and down the ice, and it looks like that's what they added. Obviously, Becker, not the greatest hockey program uh, at Division Three college hockey, um, but they look like they're getting up there, and Franklin Pierce, obviously a very talented team, but you go 101, you can't be unhappy with that to start the year. Yeah, it's, I mean, like it's better than going 0-2, that's for sure. Um, it's better than dropping both games. I I didn't get to catch either game but i have to say that when i looked uh over like the recap uh i was happy to see that um adam was able to get a chance to start back-to-back games because i think um i think last year he really did a fine job in in sort of solidifying um a place for him in the tier structure of of goalies i mean obviously it's it's so tough that position as you go up the ranks you get to the college level, you know, many, many times teams carry, you know, at least four goalies and one guy plays at a time. So it's already tough enough when you've got two or three goalies on your roster. But when you have to compete against three other guys for ice time, um, I mean, that's a challenge. And Franklin Pierce, like, has a luxury of they've got four guys who when they're on their game, I mean, I think all four of them are incredibly capable um, like we saw in, in short stints last year with, with, um, Garrett Stenberg getting, um, an opportunity to, to start a game. Um, he played well and got a win, which is awesome. Uh, I think, uh, with Kyle Martin, I mean, he had a terrific freshman year. I think he'd be the first to tell you that last year, you know, wasn't good for him. And I have no doubt though, that he's capable of, of bouncing back because he showed tremendous level of, of compete and of potential as a freshman. He was phenomenal. So I think he can get back into his rhythm for sure. But sometimes that's what it takes. It's an opening for another guy to step up. And I think, I think Adam did a terrific job. I mean, I remember he made a relief appearance against Southern New Hampshire uh, in a game last year. And uh, it played very well in that allowed for his team to, to come back from an early three Oh deficit. They did not win that game. They lost four to three, but, he played phenomenal coming in cold off the bench. Uh, also made his first, um, you know, got his first win, played well in that game uh, against Albertus Magnus, I believe it was. So always nice to see a guy who puts in a lot of work um, 
get rewarded to start this this year. I mean, obviously with the injury to Ian, I'm sure that that like you said, that contributed to the back to back starts for him. But I mean, he's a capable goalie. All four of them are. And I mean, Ian was just spectacular last year. Um, his best season as a Raven, no doubt about it. Um I think that they've got a winning recipe with with that foursome and goal. It's just a matter of, you know, how many more games you're going to play, you know, how do you divvy things up playing time wise? It's obviously struggle because you don't really know with the schedule um, how it's going to look. But whoever's in net, I think they instill a lot of confidence in the group that's in front of them. So um, it'll be interesting. And I hope that Ian's able to at least get one game in this year um, coming up in that Route 140 challenge. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what. As much as Adam was a bright spot, a non-bright spot, the the special teams. Penalty kills are right, 85.7% through those two games. The power play, though, it looked like it took a year off because of COVID. 11.1%, not great on the special teams for the Ravens. Uh, I can't, that's not my joke. That's someone else's joke. It's Matt's joke. Um, but I had to say it. Of course it's Matt. Uh, but, you know, it, it was, it was kind of tough. Uh, and you know what? I think that's what you expect when you get to a new year. You're going to get a little bit of sloppy hockey, especially with such a, such a short preseason and not being able to skate as a team. I mean, they have so many freshmen that came in, and you can't really you can't work on systems when you can't skate together. Um, and they, they, fortunately enough, got some time to skate during the preseason and, and got some practice time in, but uh, it was definitely a, a tough look. Some of the freshmen that stand out, though, obviously Dom Norris, not a freshman, um, but... Uh, you got Nick Weaver. He had a goal in, uh, in one of those two games. Trevor Lawler, he looked real good. Jackson Dobek. Uh, John Jammers, the man amongst boys. He is a big boy, Tyler. And, and you look at his at his roster sheet, and it tells you his height. Um, it it does not do him justice. <laughs> he I would have loved to have said that name. I'm not going to lie. John that Jam- that's a fun all one. That's time, a fun one. All time. 6'5", 210, <laughs> by the way. All-time broadcaster name. It's my favorite one. Why do you think I'm jonesing to get into the booth so badly? It's not because <laughs> I want to work on my craft or enjoy calling a hockey game. It's just because I want to say John Jammers. I just want to say that some of these guys' names. No, the, the new guys, uh, I, I mean, I think, again, like we said with the women, like a normal circumstance, a normal schedule. I really would have loved to have seen what this Ravens team could have done in the NE10 because they're adding these new faces, yes, but – I mean, I remember we did uh, a recording many moons ago now, it feels like, but we kind of prefaced like this incoming class and there was a lot of, there was a lot of potential and, and that was big because they needed to have a good recruiting year because you just knew that there were going to be some Titanic, you know, iceberg sized holes in the roster, not because of, you know, regression or anything, but when you lose players like they do to, to graduation, I, that's just never easy. And, um, you know, talk talk about the power play. I mean, losing Alex Lesser and Jimmy Morris, I would, I would say you add that with the fact that, you know, they had such a long layoff off, you know, with due to COVID. I think that's just a recipe for, for having, you know, sloppy special teams. And I think that it'd be one thing in a normal season I think they would have figured it out um, sooner than later because I think those new guys, um, I think they would have fit into the kind of style of play that Coach Milrick would want them to to execute. 
Um, I mean, you're not going to replace the skill that Lester and, and Morrissey bought, brought to the table that, that senior year. I mean, they were unbelievable with Chris Stevenson. I mean, my unbiased opinion, the best line in the NE10 last year, but I think the points back that up. Um, I think the, the, the numbers back that up last year. So um, not easy to replace those guys, but the new players coming in gave me a lot of optimism, at least from the outside looking in. And I think if they're able to play a couple more games, a handful of games, that rhythm might get there, but you know, with the lack of practice time, like you said, or the the difficulty to find ice time in this, you know, pandemic age, uh, it it probably will be a little bit rough um, for both teams on on you know special teams. The power play is something that when you have new faces, it just it takes time, and time is something that is lacking, you could say, for for Franklin Pierce, and that's out of their control, fortunately. So I, I want to, we, we talked about Haley Parker not being there for Franklin Pierce, uh, her, her name off the roster. I don't know if it's a glitch in the system or what. Uh, I'm definitely going to find out. I'm going to text her, but uh, I'm going to test. Hope it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you real quickly. Or, um, yeah, test. Uh, I think I said text. I'm going to test you real quickly. No cheating. Right. And I know you've been no working cheating. with other teams right now, so you, you got a lot of rosters on your mind. Who wears number 18 for the guys? I'll give you a hint. The Sheriff. Oh, come on, man. Oh, man. He's in my grade. Big. Oh, no. Big bodied forward. Play center. Big. Okay, it's a big forward. Is it, guy. Uh, is it, is it Rudick? No, nope, no. That's number 12. Um, All right. I know he's playing this now, year, too. Now, let me give you a little, a bigger hint. Okay. Who wore number 18 the last two years? Number 18 the last two years. Oh, man. Sifting through my brain here. Sean Crowley. Um, Sean Crowley, the big center, yes. Absent from the men's hockey roster this year. Same with Mitch DeLeese. Mitch DeLeese, now I saw on Elite Prospects, he's at another school. He's playing ACHA hockey. He moved back to Texas. Oh, okay. or he's from Louisiana. He moved yep. down to Texas. Went, uh, went back as, down south. Not as far away as, as New Hampshire. But Sean Crowley, I haven't found anything. Uh, and that's a big loss. We, we spoke about that special yeah. teams. I think that's where he really shined was on, on those special teams I really liked. I think it was him and Nico on uh, on a pound to kill, and he took the face-offs, and I think it he he wasn't as fast as Nico. Nico likes to get in the corners, too, and, and play a little bit more physical than his size. Um, but yep. Sean Crowley on that penalty kill was, was a big piece for the Ravens, I think. Yeah, big body. Um, he spent a lot of last year as, as the fourth-line center, um, and I think he kind of fit that role pretty well. I think he played... He played to his size. Um, he was definitely a gritty player. Um, I think the the offense from him. I mean, I know his points maybe not as as high as they would have they would have wanted. I think he only had two or three goals last year, if I can recall correctly. Um, but I think again, like we talked about, like Bridget Fagan. Um, you know, not every guy on your on your lineup is going to be um, you know a light a lights out scorer, and you need guys who can play in those sort of checking forward roles, those checking line roles, you know, a solid penalty killer. He was excellent in the face-offs. Um, he was an excellent center iceman um, in terms of that. Uh, and I thought, I always thought he used his size effectively, um, whether it was, whether it was on the PK in a shorthanded situation or, you know, uh, on the attack and winning, winning pucks in the offensive zone, winning offensive zone face-offs, things like that. Um, 
I think those are the kind of players that they, they oftentimes get underrated because, you know, when you look at the leaders in points, they're, they're not, you know, close to the top, but um, you need guys like that on your, on your third and fourth lines, guys who can do the things that might not always pop up on the stat sheet. I mean, like face-offs, for example, I think face-offs are such a critical part of the game and it's an aspect of the game that, you know, fans, people, media, like doesn't really get talked up all that much, but I mean, Oh, hold on, hold on. Come on. Media. I talk about face-offs so much. One of the episodes for the College Hockey Podcast was all about face-offs because this kid, that's, Zach, Zach, and the that's you as a ref went 22-4. No, that's me. That's me as a hockey player knowing that face-offs are how you get possession right off the rip. Come on. They, they, they are not a glamour stat. They might not stand out as much as some of the others. But, yeah, if you're losing a lot of face-offs, you're losing the puck. You're not getting the puck, especially, you know, if it's in the offensive zone. Like, you're losing a lot of offensive zone face-offs. You're, you're going to have a, a rough time setting up shop offensively. So I think, you know, he might have struggled last year finding the back of the net and picking up points, but he made up for it in those other areas. And, and that's huge. You need that. And I think, um, you know, Nico, too, was one of those guys. He uh, got off to – it was a cold start for him. He definitely was, was not for lack of effort. Um, he was getting chance after chance, a couple hit goal posts here and there. But his second half was – tale of two seasons really for him he came to life and when he's scoring at that clip or even half that clip uh, that's a huge benefit for franklin pierce and like you said uh partner he does those things um those little things as well very good um whether it's you know good plays with his stick you know playing hard in the corner winning puck battles in the corner um not afraid to set himself up in front of the net either uh, he's always seems to be around that blue paint like the good goal scorers are so i think um I think those kind of players are, again, like they're very, very important. And they're even more important in a year like this year where you've lost some serious firepower up front. And, you know, you can't rely on on Stevenson and Gorbett and, and Foley every single night. I mean, those three are, are very good and very important. And I'd probably say that, you know, those are their three best forwards. But you need those other guys. Um, and you need the new guys as well. And uh, so far, I think the men's so good. I think both both programs um, have gotten good contributions from the new faces coming in, and that's all you can ever ask for. So I, I want to go back to to Crowley and Nikolopoulos, and I love how you mentioned the. Uh, oh, we might have to cut out the part about Haley because now I'm texting her, and I got some so three three sad emojis. Um, but I, <laughs> I want to go back oh, to no. Nico, and I want to go back to Sean Crowley, and, and talking about. Uh, p- being a role player. So Nico, he got off to a little bit of a slow start freshman year, right? But right now he's sitting 19 goals, 12 assists, 31 total points, and 56 career games. He knows his role, right? He knows he he's out there. He's he's trying to find open teammates, find the back of the net. Fast, gritty hockey player. That's what I have written on my game sheet. Yep. Sean Crowley, agree with freshman year, 26 games played, four goals, four assists, 40 shots on net, right? That I don't know that that's his role. He comes in sophomore year, 2019-2020, 28 games played, one goal, four assists for five points, but only 14 shots on goal through the entire year. I think he, he came to a, not a, not a realization, but he, he figured out his role. His role was to be that big, gritty, third-line, fourth-line center. Uh, I think it, it fit him really well. I, again, 
we don't always know what goes on behind closed doors. Obviously, uh, like Steph Proto is no longer on the roster with the women's hockey team. She's still very involved right. with the roster, uh, but she's not playing the games, right? Um, uh, Kelly Turney, same same situation on the roster. Uh, you, you don't know what goes on in college hockey. A, a, it's a game of turnaround. All college sports are because you, you yep. have an entirely new roster every four years. Um, in and out, transfers, but, just all that. Yeah. But I, I think that it just it, it embodies the message of, of role players and how you can't have a full team of Alex. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if you had a full team of Alex Lester's? Yeah, it'd be pretty insane. Interesting. I, I don't, <laughs> you might win all the regular season games, but you get the playoffs and everybody's going to know. Like They played you already four times now. They know how to beat your game. They know what they got to do. Uh, and I think that you have that healthy mix between you've got Nico's, you've got obviously not Sean Crowley anymore, um, but you've got Nico's, you got Steven Jacobs on the back end playing with Vito. I think they're two pretty similar defensemen. You also have Gags and, and Ankoviak, right? And on the front end, you have Connor Foley and you have guys like uh, Demetrius Christo or Will Wolford, Trevor Lawler. I'm pretty sure he, he seemed like he was going to be a pretty, not big body, but, but playing big body. Dom Norris, big body. There's nothing that's saying you can't get on the score sheet. Guy's got two assists in two games. It's a point per game right now, and he's one of the biggest guys I've ever seen. So uh, I, I I just think I that that for me, knowing your role, I, I was a big role player. I was never good at hockey, so I used the excuse of I, I, I knew my role. Um, hey, you and me both, partner. I was a backup goalie in high school, so <laughs> I think we both embraced uh, that when we made the switch to broadcasters, and I think that's why both of us – know that you know while you need an excellent you know starting goal you need excellent goaltending you need you need your top six to to be your top six you need your bottom six to be your bottom six I think we both understood that every single player on that roster on that bench has a role and that role is important whether you're the third string or fourth string goalie the fourth line center or the first line center if you want to win and if you want to make a run to an any 10 championship or a new hot championship, you have to have all those components going. And I think both these programs have, you know, like very similar like layouts. I mean, from the back end out, Emmy Ostrander, Ian Wallace. I mean, there's a one-two punch right there to start in between the pipes. Um, I mean, Suzette Boucher, if I'm saying that name right, check me on that. But you know, promising young freshman goalie coming in, that's going to help out. And it's like, you might not think about it, but a backup goalie can be huge. The If the fourth line center and if the fourth line is contributing offensively, defensively, helping to kill penalties, shutting down the other team's, you know, top line or, or, or second line, we've seen that matchup sometimes. And, and um, I mean, it's just like, that's what it takes to win. You need all hands on deck. That's a phrase I've always used on, on broadcasts in the past. And I think for Franklin Pierce, I've seen that transition almost from instead of relying on just few guys to be good, uh, it's it's gradually become a more deeper, consistent team effort. And you see that in the results. I mean, they make the playoffs, then they win a playoff game, then they're playing for a title. I mean, that was a year after they, you know, had a pretty down year and and we're we're at the bottom or close to the bottom of the ne10 so the change you see it comes with exactly that with with your top guys your top guys but you're getting great goaltending you're getting um you know 
and it's just that solid, consistent play from from people on defense. I mean, like last year, like you said, Stephen Jacobs, he was phenomenal last year, phenomenal last year for them. And those are the types of players that you need to play well more nights than not to have a chance. And I think for both men's and women's programs, the blueprints there. And uh, like I said, and I've said before on this on this podcast, it's just a shame that with COVID, unfortunately, things are what they are, because I think these two teams would make some serious noise in their respective conferences. And obviously I have the bias and that's all right. But I think, I think anybody, you know, who's looking from the outside would, would agree because both these teams had great runs last year and they got better this year. And that's despite some pretty key losses on both sides. So and, and we've that's been, where I stand on them. We've been very fortunate in Ringe where my freshman year, we got to see the women's hockey team go to the NEWHA championship. And then our, my sophomore year, last year, your senior year, we got to see the men's team go to the any 10 championship. Obviously both team, they, both teams, they fell short of winning the championship. Um, but it, it just goes to show how hockey is back in, in, in yeah. Franklin Pierce. And it, it's, yeah, you got St. A's right with the sick rank and, they think they're sick jerseys. I don't think they're that nice of jerseys, but they've got that hockey culture. Well, if, men's team, if anyone knows jerseys, my friend, it's you. The men's team didn't make playoffs last year, right? Uh, post, don't even get me started. Uh, St. <laughs> Mike's, don't, don't like the guys made playoffs. The girls did, but technically they, they didn't. Or technically they did, but really they didn't. You know right, I mean? yeah. Right? Like, yeah, there's a play. If we count playing games, sure, but. Um, Franklin Pierce is. is you, you've got that organization. It's like, I guess, I don't want to say that the, the teams that have the good NHL and the AHL team every year, because that's not the equivalent. It's not the NHL and the AHL. It's two NHL teams. Right. Uh, maybe it's so like the Connecticut Nighthawks and the Hartford Wolfpack in the USPHL, I think they are now. Uh, they're both owned by the same ownership group. That'd be the equivalent of them both making the playoffs in their division and just being right. good. Well, there's two, two EHL teams, the Rough Riders and, oh, they changed their name. Uh, but, but uh, it, well, it was the Chiefs. Uh, it was Connecticut Chiefs, and then there was the Rough Riders. And the Chiefs, I think, now are playing out of Western Mass due to um, COVID restrictions and and whatnot. But you, I you, think, you, I you get the point I'm I'm making is like right. Y- you've got this 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 culture where it's just it's winning now, and yeah, it, it comes in a lot. I I think a lot of it has to do with Sean Millerick. He's the any he's the reigning any ten coach of the year. It's not in a worry that you just get willy-nilly your second year, third year coaching. Uh, I mean, he, he's done a lot for that men's program. Dave Stockdale, uh, fun fact, yep. him and Matt Janik are the only two people who have been around for the entirety of uh, the women's hockey yep. program. Not at the school for the entirety, but, but involved with the program for the entirety of it. Uh, and he's done an unbelievable job uh, bringing it from literally the, the ground up and, and to what it is right yep. now. and. Uh, new program just, and now they're division one and yeah it's unreal it's great to see uh finally a little bit a little bit of, of news we'll talk a little bit about the newha the any 10 around the horn uh sacred heart new rank coming did you see the pictures of that i have i have seen them online i remember hearing the news about it and it got me just hoping that one day and one day uh, and I've always kind of joked about this with Matt, but I was like, if I ever make it, and if this, you know, if they're still humming along and, and things are going well and the program's really doing well, I would throw just about any amount of money I could into into getting a real proper like facility because that was always like 
sort of the dream that I had when I was at Franklin Pierce. So I was like, man, wouldn't it be sick if we had like our own Sullivan Arena? But like, even even more well, than so that, like having like you'd never have a rink the size of Sullivan Arena, too too right too big for Franklin Pierce, but your own something rink, on that kind of scale, own. or or at least an arena that isn't like a high school rink. Basically, I love Jason Richie Ice Arena. This is not me slandering Jason Richie Ice Arena. Like uh, a lot of fond memories in that building, and the staff there is great. But it would just be really cool if they could have just like their own facility on campus or near campus or in Ringe somewhere, or I don't know how it would work. You but know how much land Franklin Pierce owns? That's not probably to, a, that's, like a, no, a lot. Like it's not probably, right. it's a lot. Let's, let's yeah. make it so we don't have to drive 30 minutes to another state to play a college hockey game, right? Like, I mean, that that for me is the goal. Obviously, I don't I don't write the checks. I don't manage the money. It's not my decision to make. I'm I'm the, the immature junior. Um, because I I I took a deep dive last week into uh, the Franklin Pierce Facebook page and realized just how long some of these people in athletics have been here, like Stephanie Dragan, uh, the men's lacrosse coach, men's basketball coach, uh, just so many people. Matt Janik, especially. Uh, just how long Legend. they've been here and, and doing their things. And I come in and I try, you know, we should do this and we should do that. And, and this would be cool. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, dude, shut, shut up. Like they do a go good sit job. In a corner so we have, freshman. we have a great athletic department that, um, that even if I, our facilities I've always described as unique, they are unique. Um, and honestly, when I look back at it as, as I do hope that, you know, in the future, the school obviously continues to do well and especially on the athletic side of things as well and i hope it leads to whether it's a new kind of training complex or renovations or a new gym or whatever it may be i hope that you know um they realize how important athletics are to that to that school and with hockey growing like it is and kind of becoming um you know two really strong forces i think it just it adds to the already strong athletic community that that school has and I think that's what made it so great was um and being like a sports media major obviously like getting a real up close and personal feel for it I think that really is what makes Franklin Pierce Franklin Pierce is its athletics and its athletics community because I think that really is the glue that kind of holds the whole operation together to be honest with you and again I'm like biased and all that stuff but um, just experiencing it firsthand over four years, um, you just see like how important these athletes are to their respective programs, but to the school as a whole, like they do a lot of good and they've gotten the school a lot of, you know, positive things to promote and talk about. And I think women's hockey, especially with, you know, becoming division one and with a new high in general, becoming, you know, division one and adding another division one, um, conference to, to a growing sport. I mean, why wouldn't you want to invest in that? I, I think you should. And I think for the men's, as they continue, you know, their positive trajectory in the NE10, you know, who's to say that, you know, Franklin Pierce in baseball, for example, has had a really great run in the NE10. I mean, Shout obviously Jason with hockey. King. Yeah, yeah, Jason King. I saw his piece. Um, uh, I saw that piece from Matt on the NE10. He was unbelievable. That baseball program was unbelievable when he was here. Obviously, with the NE10, it's a bit smaller when it comes to hockey. But if Franklin Pierce keeps this up, and if Coach Mowat can can keep it up, and and I mean, who's to say that they can't 
sort of get a little run going for themselves. I mean, I can't get ahead of myself because, you know, they haven't won one yet, but they've been to two now in their program's history. And they were pretty close last year. It's a 3-1 score, and they played a pretty solid team in Stonehill. So I think if things keep trending in the right direction for, for hockey, um, it's just going to add another, another element to an already pretty successful and, and solid athletic group there at Franklin Pierce. I have a lot of love and respect for, for a lot of people there, uh, athletes and within the athletic department. I mean, I only want the best for them, and I only want to see them continue that, that positive growth for sure. Tyler, listen. Thank you so much. Wow. I so I reached out. I was I was sitting here. I was like, why don't we do a Pierce Hockey Podcast episode, right? Like big yeah. big one year anniversary. It's it's a momentous day, as you said, and uh, I've shared it on just about every single social media platform I have. So I apologize to some people, but I'm uh, jealous. It's a great. It, it, I wouldn't have honestly changed the thing. Like I wouldn't have changed the thing because <laughs> we joked about this too. Like they would have had to gone back on Sunday to play a championship game. Yeah, and then and it's just like, A's get smoked by LIU the next day. 3 nothing or 4 nothing. Yeah. They they lost, and they looked dogged in that game. So I almost look at it as, hey, look, it's it sucked to lose that game, heartbreaker, but how could I not look back on it a year from now and, and be like, damn, that was a really, really epic day. And it was, and it was, and it always will be because I doubt, honestly, I'll ever do something like that again. And if I do, I guarantee you the first thing I bring up is that game from February 22nd, 2020, whether it's 10 years from now, 15 years from now that it happens. If I ever have to call a five overtime game again, I'm going to immediately bring up my senior year as an undergrad. You're going to get to one overtime and you're going to be like my senior year. Franklin Pierce, yeah. I called a five <laughs> It's either I'll game. reference that or I'll reference the Holy Cross game. Either one. It's like both those games are profound to me. They stick out a lot. Um, unlike the St. Anselm one, I, I, or unlike the Holy Cross one, unfortunately, like we weren't able to get the audio from the St. Anselm game, but honestly, it doesn't matter because I know I was there. <laughs> Obviously, like we were there, we witnessed it. Um, I've got all the papers, uh, eventually they ran, they couldn't print us any more stats. Do you remember that? The live stats just <laughs> they melted down. They stopped. So I think like in the fourth overtime, we had like no more stats. So it just was like one of those things one in a million, one in a lifetime, probably. And I'm just, I'm glad we went. I'm glad we went. I'm glad we were there. And the only thing that would have made it better, obviously, was was a win. But in the end, it wasn't a win. And I take away from it nothing but, you know, the, the good memories from that day. Because just experiencing that was incredible. You couldn't, I couldn't have put it any better. But that's going to do it. <laughs> Episode 9 of the College Hockey Podcast. Pierce Hockey Podcast. Jesus Christ. Too many podcasts you're doing. I'm doing too many, right? Well, it's it's my fault for naming them the same exact thing. The College Hockey (laughs) Podcast and the Pierce Hockey Podcast. Uh, But episode nine, if you haven't checked it out, by the way, go check it out. Uh, At College HKYPOD, Instagram and Twitter, uh, and and our Facebook page, YouTube page. Uh, This week's interview, uh, it's a sick one. Got a kid from Babson. Uh, Oh, yeah. That's um, a good one. Kid named Ryan Black. Played played a year at Winchiton right down the road. Uh, top 50 player at the Division three level. He's a 99 and a junior. Um, unbelievable. But top 10 top ten program in the country uh, playing out there uh, down in Wesley, Mass. So yep. go give it a listen if you haven't. And uh, go go listen to a couple other ones. I mean, I, this kid Tyler Rago has an episode too, I think. So 
I'd be, it'd be we've made a few I've made a few appearances with you now by by this point in time I have for sure so I'll plug in my episodes at least for sure and uh, I would say to anybody yeah you should check out Ezra's content because kids pretty dialed in when it comes to college hockey and um, definitely an up-and-coming stud I would say in in this industry in this field so listen I to all the episodes it. because I said so <laughs> because you said so that's gonna do it for episode nine thank you so much for listening in and uh we don't know when we'll see you back but be sure to follow us on on instagram at pierce hockey podcast and uh i guess i'd say stay cool in frank in uh in new hampshire but the weather is doing enough of that for us so see you later on the pierce hockey podcast That's all I'm